All right, today I'm going to be coming from First uh, Samuel chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod rose early in the morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod until this day. And once again, I want to talk about what happened to my help. And we got to kind of go back to 1 Samuel chapters 3 and 4. You can read that when you get home. Uh, Israel is at a point in history where the Bible says that the light in the temple went out. We know that it was the job of the priests to always keep fire in the temple and make sure that the uh, lamps are trimmed and always burning in the temple. The Bible says that there was no open word from the Lord. It was a point to where God wasn't speaking or giving any instruction at all. Then we see the judge of Israel, Eli, being phased out by God because of what he, was, what he saw happening and he did nothing about. And we'll get into that a little later. And then we have a, a new man on the scene who's going to take Eli's place uh, and that would be Samuel. So we have Samuel getting ready to take Eli's place. And Samuel um, is the son of Hannah. We read a lot about Hannah, but there's only a few verses given in the Bible to uh, Samuel's father. His name is Ilkanah. And his father's name actually means God-possessed. It took someone God-possessed to produce Israel's next deliverer and if if we're going to see the next phase in our life and give birth to something alive and vibrant it's going to have to be uh, the offspring you're going to have to be the offspring of something that's God possessed all right so we find Samuel learning the voice of God because when God first called Samuel he didn't know what to do all he heard was a voice calling him and he didn't recognize the voice and we see Eli, even though God is stripping Eli of his position, Eli is the one who's teaching Samuel how to respond to God's voice. Even though he's been rejected. Then we see God pronouncing judgment on Eli. Once Eli taught Samuel how to respond to God's voice, when he calls you, this is what you do, and then he'll come and speak to you. And then once he did it, God told Samuel, that Eli's house is going to be judged for the wickedness that he's committed, and I'm going to bring judgment on his house, and what he's done will never be forgiven. And so Samuel goes and tries to do church as usual the next day. 
He doesn't tell Eli what God has just told him about him, but he goes right back to the temple, opens the doors, does his little priestly duties, and, and with this great wealth of knowledge and revelation that God has just come to him with, he tries to go back to doing church as usual. And we all know that after God then showed you something, you can't go back to doing church as usual. You will never be the same again. Then we see here, Eli demands for Samuel to tell him, what did God tell you? Then, then he says, I pray that if you don't tell me, in so many words, God gets you. This man's rejected, but threatening somebody else with God's judgment if they don't tell them what God said. So Eli received his judgment with no arguments. When Samuel told him, God has pronounced judgment on your house, Eli turns around and said, well, he's God. And if he says I deserve it, then I deserve it. So next we find Israel going to battle with the Philistines. We don't read, I had to search, who gave the command to go to battle? God didn't give it because the Bible says that the light in the temple had went out and there was no open word from the Lord. So the charge didn't come from God. We don't find Eli telling them to go to war, but 4,000 of the Israelites die in this battle. 4,000. So they get the leaders, the captains of the army, the leaders of Israel come together and say, why did we lose 4,000 men when God is supposed to be on our side? And he promised that whatever battle we would go, he would always defeat our enemy. But yet we find here we've lost 4,000 men. So what they decided to do was to say, okay, what we do is we need to go and take the ark and then take the ark out to the battlefield and carry it to the battlefield for us. I mean, with us. And the Lord will surely be with us then. So they send forth the ark to assume that if they carry the ark with them to battle, the Lord would be with them. It is common for those that have estranged themselves from the vitals of religion to discover a great fondness for the rituals and external observances of it. For those that even deny the power of godliness not only to have, but to have in admiration the form of it. And yet indeed, they did but make an idol of the ark and looked upon it to be as much an image of the God of Israel as those idols which the heathen worshipped were of their gods. To worship the true God and not to worship him as God is in effect not to worship him at all. So they used the ark as an idol. They weren't reverencing God. They wanted to use God to win a fight. They wanted to win God to prove who they were. Had nothing to do with giving God glory. So when the ark was set forward by Moses, Moses said, rise up, Lord, and let thy enemies be scattered, well knowing that it was not the ark moving with them, but God appearing for them that must give them success. And here were no proper means used to engage God to favor them with his presence. What good then would the ark do them, the shell without the kernel? We got church, but we got no real presence. 
We have religion, but we don't have relationship. We have doctrine, but we don't have a personal savior. Carnal people triumph much in the external privileges and performances of religion and build much upon them as if these would infallibly save them and as if the ark, God's throne, in the camp would bring them to heaven, though the world and the flesh should be upon the throne in the heart. So when they sent for the ark, it is custom that you have to be in the Levitical priesthood in order to even bear the ark up and to move it. Well, the two that they sent with the ark for this battle was Hophni and Phinehas, which were Eli's two sons. It was known that they were the sons of Belial. Let's get 1 Samuel 2. Verse number 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. They had the duty of tending to God's temple. They had the duty of carrying the presence, the power, the word of God. But they were the sons of Belial. What they did was that they sabotaged the sacrificial offering process for the people. When anyone was offering a sacrifice, they would send servants to the sacrifice to fish out the sacrifice while it was still boiling. They would take hooks and pretty much rob people of their sacrifice. People are in the act of actually preparing their sacrifice. It is in the pot. It is on the altar. But they take hooks and yank your sacrifice right off of the altar. If the servants were to arrive before the sacrifice was offered, they would simply demand the raw meat so they could roast it. They, would, they couldn't even give the people the decency to say, okay, at least pay your homage to God and then let me try to rob you. What you brought to God, I want to take that from you. And if it's on the altar already, I'm going to snatch it off before it's perfected and gone up before the Lord. If the one giving the sacrifice would insist that at least the fat be burned first, according to the law, the servants were commanded to take it by force. Because remember, God was after the fat ultimately. That was the most important part of the sacrifice. And they would, they would plead with them, at least let me give my all to God. Let me at least give him the, the core of my spirit. They say, no, we're taking it by force. But yet, we only speak of the fornication that they committed at the door of the temple, but never mention their hindering the burning of the fat. We concentrated more on fornication than on the fat. The greater sin was in the fat and the hindering of the sacrifice. Because their fornication, they're going to be judged for that. But now they're putting other people in jeopardy by stripping them of what God has required of them. 
when religion does not allow you the freedom to offer God your fat, it is a gross sin and it's wickedness, it's transgression, and God is not pleased. And this is why he told Eli through Samuel, this sin is unforgivable. Shame on us for allowing our sin, these two people accompany what represented God's presence. They allowed their sin to accompany the presence of God as we battle our fiercest enemy. So as the ark approached the camp in Ebenezer, the Israelites shouted loud enough to nearly shake the ground. The camp of Israel was excited to see. They were camped in Ebenezer, but the ark was not in Ebenezer. They had to bring the ark from the temple to Ebenezer. Then from Ebenezer, they still had to make it out to the battlefield or to the camp of the Philistines. Okay. Once the Philistines found out about the ark, they panicked because they feared what the God of Israel did to the Egyptians. What the Philistines said is, what is all this commotion going on over there? And they sent someone and said, we in trouble now because they have the presence of God. That thing that God gave them as an oath, as a promise, as a guarantee that he'd be with them, they brought that out to their camp. This is the same, this represents the God that destroyed the Egyptians. But what the Philistines had got mixed up was that the ark wasn't even created when God destroyed the Egyptians. It had nothing to do with the ark of the covenant. This is why we read that Abraham was, just, was justified by faith. He had justification before his name was changed. God is on your side whether you do, do all of this religious activity or not. It is faith in Christ. Do you really believe that God is God in your life? So they panicked. But in their panic, something got in them to say, we, we got to do something about this. Sometimes the more people see how religious you are, the harder they're going to kick against you. And they're going to test and see whether you really got what they heard about. I heard that the God that you serve is able to do this and do that and do the other. I'm not going to panic. I, I, I'm a little frightened, but it, it's frightened me. So sometimes nobody can fight like when they're scared. Some folks lose their mind. They're uncontrollable in their panic state. This is why they have to sedate people. You got to constrain them somehow. But this time, now the first time 4,000 died, they went back. It didn't say that they sought the Lord as to why they lost. At least with Ai, Joshua went back and laid before the Lord. But this time, they didn't go before the Lord. They just talked to each other. What good is it for me to talk to you when you were just on the same battlefield where we lost? You were there with me. If I thought you had the answer, we wouldn't be in this situation. 
So who was the smart aleck to say, oh, I got the solution? Well, if you got the solution, why didn't you tell us about it out there when we were getting defeated? So this time, instead of 4,000, 30,000 die. And then the rest fleed into their tents. This is the thing that got me. They never made it to the battlefield. Because the Bible tells us that the Philistines, in our text, they took the, the ark of God from Ebenezer to Ashdod. They weren't out of Ebenezer yet. They were still in Ebenezer shouting. They were still dancing. They were still praising God when all of a sudden their enemy came and jacked them of their power. Shout in the middle of your shout. See, the devil is not impressed with your little dance, your little shout, your little ikamahan, your little he's coming in a Honda. It doesn't intimidate him. In fact, if it infuriates him enough that his panic can turn into rage. And before you make it to work on Monday, before you make it to the battlefield, the enemy came right up in the church and just defeated you, whipped you silly, killing folk, and then the rest of us tuck tail and run, and we hide in our tents. And we come back the next week and do it all over again. So the ark of God is taken. Hophni and Phinehas are killed. And then the Bible says that a man of Benjamin is the messenger. Now, Benjamin was the son of the south, remember, from the last retreat. He was the son. He was the completion of Abraham's promise, the son of the south. Eli, who's 98 years old, hears the cries as the news spreads throughout the camp. And once he finds out the news, he falls backwards and breaks his neck. The Bible says about Eli, his eyes were dim, implying that he had no spiritual vision. He was fat and immobile, implying his condoning of his son's lack of self-control. Then it says he fell backwards. He didn't fall going in the right direction. He was headed in the wrong direction when it was his time to get up out of here. Then he says he broke his neck. My Lord. So here we find where our text starts. So the Philistines took the ark from Ebenezer to Ashdod, which again lets us know that the ark never made it to the battlefield. In the midst of their shouting, praising, and dancing, the enemy came in, and I call, I, I, we always used to talk about carjacking, glory jacked them. <laughs> they got glory jacked. Because the Ark of the Covenant represented the glory, the presence, the awesomeness of God. His word, his miracles, his provision was represented by the Ark. And, and ultimately, his communication was represented by the Ark. Because all of that stuff was inside the Ark. But the thing that topped off the Ark, the cherubims that set up, he told Moses, I will, I will meet you in between the two cherubims. I'll be sitting on top of all that stuff, on top of all the miracles, on top of the word, on top of all this stuff, and yet we're, cont we're content with just the preaching of the word, we're content with just the miracle or the healing of the body, but never going to see what's on top of that. 
God said, I sit on top of all of that. And that's where I'll commune with you. So they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. The word Ashdod means stronghold. The ark was taken and set in the house of Dagon next to, which means beside their God. It's like these two chairs. They had Ashdod, and they took the God of Israel, which represented the God of Israel, and set it next to their idol. The devil wants to trivialize the presence of God in your life and set it beside the average and the mundane. They treated the ark as a token of their accomplishments and displayed no reverence. It was just something that we could sit up and say, this is what I, I got. I came and I spoke in tongues. I came and I was baptized in Jesus' name. I'm faithful. I make it to all the events. I don't, I don't fornicate no more. It's just setting it right there next to the idol of yourself. So early in the morning, the Bible says that they came in and asked that. Notice how early they came in. Now, the world makes it their business to rise up early and to pay homage to their gods. They're going to make sure that they're taken care of. Jesus told us the world will take care of the world. So God should not be an afterthought for the saint. We must have a preemptive mentality when it comes to serving God. We cannot allow our allegiance to God to be a reflex. It has to be preemptive. You've got to wake up and say, God, Lord, I really need you to be my protector because I don't know what's going on. I don't want to wait until the trouble happens and then try to fill around for God. That communion needs to be there. The, the Philistines had that. They woke up and the first thing they went is to worship their God. So we got to make it our point not to be so busy, running so late, that we don't actually wake up and kind of at least have some type of communion with God. Psalm 63 and 1 says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, and my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see the power of thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. So they took the ark and placed it in the house of Dagon. Dagon means little fish. The image of this idol had the body of a fish, but it had the hands and the head of a man. The most famous temples of Dagon were in Gaza, which means fortified, and in Ashdod, which means stronghold. So we have to realize that every stronghold and everything that's been fortified in our spirits, they have got to be dealt with. Because it's the house of Dagon. So when Samson was captured, the Philistines gave credit for his capture to, the, to Dagon. But when Samson gave his life, he took down some Philistines when he brought the house of Dagon down. And for us, we're going to have to be like Samson. If it takes my life, I will not be held captive in an idol temple. 
I will not be held captive by tradition. I refuse to be imprisoned by religion and falsehood and lies. Where the glory of God is and not there. I can't, I can't do that. So next we see the fall of Dagon. Dagon fell on his face before the ark of the Lord. This could not be a coincidence because they set the statue side by side. If this chair were to fall forward, it would be facing that way. But the Bible says that he was on his face before the Lord. That means that the presence of God turned that idol around, made the idol repent, and then fall down toward him and worship him. This was no coincidence. This idol did not just fall over. The verbiage cannot be read too fast. He fell on his face before, in front of the ark. God's presence made the idols repent. This is why we know that the demons know that they are one God and they are subject to him and they tremble. Every vice in our life trembles at God. That's why we don't have folk here. They tremble that that change is going to take place. They would rather listen to their Dagon than to actually be changed. So Dagon was moved out of his place, turned around, and bowed down toward the ark of the Lord. So they come and see that God has power over crack addiction. God has power over homosexuality and lesbianism. And God has power over hatred and envy and, and all of these things. But I just worship that stuff so much. I got to pick it back up and set it back in its place. I need that in my life. Can't live without it. The Philistines had the opportunity to repent and say that if, if this presence of the Israelites' God can cause our God to bow down, maybe we ought to bow down to that. Usually if a company is bought out by a, a, a larger company, the subsidiaries don't stand by themselves. They're taking over also. So the worshipers of Dagon should follow the worship of Dagon. If Dagon fell before God, they should have fell before God. But they didn't want God. They wanted Dagon because they had the control of it. We worship what we can control. Because we can pull the strings and our so-called God becomes our puppet. But we read before, Israel right now is in no better place than the Philistines because they took the ark of God and put strings on it for the ark of God to become their puppet. Not knowing that they were supposed to go to God, not God come to them. 
they lost 4,000 men, and instead of going to God, they reasoned among themselves and said, bring God to us. Lord, since I created my own mess, now it's your duty to come and rescue me. That is a spoiled brat of a child who poops on themselves and then get angry at you because you won't change him. A grown baby. So we, we, we set Dagon back in his place. So my question is, what things do we keep setting back up in their place that God had once conquered and caused to bow down at his feet? Is it worry? Is it doubt? Is it fear? We enter his presence. He's able to, to, to do something with it. it, it, it uh, something happened that night at that service, at that retreat, at that meeting. But it, it, it didn't have enough of an impact on me to let it go. So I set it back up. But God has a double anointing. So he said, I will not share my glory with another. You set that thing up next to, to Dagon. You set the ark next to Dagon. And you, you almost want them to be synonymous. This, this is the thing where God's got to be insulted. You set him next to Dagon, and you come in and bow to Dagon, but don't bow to him. Wow. You make God watch while you cheat and bow to Dagon, and he's sitting right there. So, but this time, not only did Dagon bow toward the ark, but this time he took the head and the hands and they were cut off and laid in the doorway. Now, we got to slow down here. Because it says, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off. Cut off, not broken. It wasn't a matter of the statue falling and shattering because it hit the ground. The ground, the impact of the ground was not what broke Dagon's head and hands off. They were cut off. This is a surgical term. God meticulously took the head of Dagon and severed it. Decapitation of the head. It rendered this idol incapable of thinking even any evil at all. The amputation of the hands. It took away Dagon's ability to do anything. Not only will you, you, even if he had hands, his head was gone. The hands can only actuate what happens in the mind. <clears throat> but he made sure that nothing was going to happen. And there was nothing left but the stump. He took all of the humanity out of this idol and left it as a fish. A fish out of water, just flopping around. No ability to think, no ability to act, no ability to actually put anything and implement anything in action. The threshold, 
It is innate for man to worship. God wants us to know that the only way to worship is to tread upon any false god as we enter the false temple. God took the head of Dagon and the hands of Dagon and set them at the door. So if you enter into this temple, you got to know, you got to step on your idol. You've got to stomp on your stronghold if you're going to even enter, not only into God's temple, but even into the idol's temple. You got to know God has proven himself that he is God. But do you know that rather than bow down and work, because now the only thing that there was standing upright in this temple was the almighty God. So instead of trampling on their stronghold, the Bible says they chose not to even go across the threshold. I'd rather have no religion of all if I can't control it. If I can't control it, I don't want it. When God is knocking the thing down and saying, I want you to worship me. They could have still stepped over Dagon's head, stepped over Dagon's hand and entered into the presence of God. Do you think that God would have rejected the Philistines if they had repented? No. Because he told Abraham, whoever you bless, I'll bless. Whoever decides to repent and serve me, I'm going to honor that. So God intended for the Philistines to trample their own God. So we would rather leap over the threshold and enter into false worship than to trample on the enemy and bow down to the true and living God. We would rather leap over the threshold and enter into false worship than to trample on the enemy and bow to the true and living God. So they would just simply jump over that thing. So what do we come we come to church and say, oh, we'll just skip over that little thing because we're not going to deal with that right now. That's my little secret. We're just going to jump right on over that. We should never detour from rejecting falsehood. When God lays something out, cut off its hand, head and hands and lays it for you to, to stamp on it and put it under your feet, you got to take that opportunity. So... Like Samuel tried to do when God revealed something to him, he tried to go back to business as usual. The Philistines wanted to go back to business as usual. When they refused to stop worshiping Dagon, he sent an outbreak of hemorrhoids. King James says emrods, but it's actually hemorrhoids. That's a disease in the private parts. Instead of repenting, they simply wanted to send the ark away so they could go back to church as usual. God came and visited them. Well, they, they glory jacked him. But any connection with God gives you an opportunity to change. And instead of changing, they said, you got to get this thing out of here. 
Because not only has it, it knocked our God down, we set it back in its place. It knocked it down again. And this time, he, he, he destroyed the fabric of my ideology with it. He took the works of my idol worship and, and just uh, disannulled it. On top of that, he sent this terrible disease in our land. Instead of repenting, you got to get this thing out of here. So they sent the ark to Gath. Gath means the wine press. They then took the ark to Ashdod, which means stronghold. When it didn't go in their favor, they said, get it out of here and send it to the wine press. Frequently, Gath is used as a prefix in combination with a proper name to refer to other cities, but here it is used alone. In other words, it's kind of like the term Ben, means son. Like Benjamin is the son of the south, and his mother named him Ben-Oni, which means the son of my uh, affliction. So with, uh, like Ben, Gath is also a prefix. So you would have terms where Gath would go in the front of a word, which means that this city was pressed by the wine press. But here... There's nothing crushed. It's just simply wine press. There's no crushing. It's religion with no results. Just Gath. I could see if it was Gath Andre. The Lord crushing me. But it's, it's just Gath. There's, it's something crushing, but I don't know what it is. It's not me. So this implies that nothing was happening. Just a wine press with no wine. Gath was known as the residence of what's called Anakim, which means people with long necks. It was a collar or an ornament, or also called the people of the necklace. Anakim also means men of great stature or giants. This is the home of Goliath. Goliath was from Gath. He was from the wine press, but he was not crushed. In fact, David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the army of the Lord? He was defiant. This is what happens in just Gath. Make sure that something's on the end of Gath in your life. Don't just spin your wheels with religion. To come to church, to say that I'm going to church, to say that we've been to church. Coming to prayer, to go to prayer, to say I've been to prayer. It's Gath. The people of Gath, refusing to allow the presence of God to crush them at the wine press, because the same thing that happened at Ashdod happened at Gath. Hemorrhoids broke out. So they said, well, let's get it out of the wine press and let's send it to Ekron. Now, Ekron means firm-rooted, barren, torn away, eradicated, or torn up by the roots. Let's send it to the place where God can really tear some stuff up. 
Let's send the God of the Israelites down over there. I don't want to tear. I'm not going to let him press me at the wine press, but maybe he could come and tear you up. Root you up. Now, Ekron was the most northern city of what's called as the five towns or the five rulers of the Philistines. They had, they had five major towns. The root of Ekron was the worship of Beelzebub. That was, their, that was their root. That was the thing that God wanted to tear up. God then came to the stronghold. And we wouldn't let him have the stronghold. So we sent him to the wine press, but refused to let him crush us. Then we sent him to the place of Beelzebub, the god of the fly, but we still want to worship the heavens. Nothing is uprooted. Nothing is eradicated. Still got my stronghold, still not crushed, and I still can't get rid of this deep root. So after seven months in the land of the Philistines, the Ekronites demanded that the ark be sent back to its rightful place. When all is said and done and you have abused the power of God and placed the power of God in the hands of your enemy, and then the enemy is caused to bow down to God, the enemy sends the presence right back to you. Send it back to the one I stole it from. Don't tell me God it ain't merciful. He cycled his way through every stronghold, through the wine press, and through the deep-rooted places of our life, and then right back to us. So they said, send it back. So they sent the ark back on a new cart with a trespass offering and took their best cows with a trespass offering. Not only am I giving it back, but they sent gifts with it. Not only that, but they made a new cart for it. So when the glory comes back, it don't move the same. There's something new about it. I, I, I've, because I misused and abused the power of God and allowed it to go into the hand of the enemy, this time when it comes back, it's got a different motion to it. because I, should, I never should have moved it in the first place. Because the Bible says that the Ark of the Covenant was to stay in place, and he told Moses, when I pick a place and choose to place my name there, that's where you take the Ark. He never spoke again and chose a place to put his name there. They said, if these cows drive this toward Bethamish, then we know that, that our offering has been received but if it comes back northward right back to our land we know that we got a, a problem on our hands we know that God is about to destroy us but the cows not only go to Bethlehem now Bethlehem means the house of the sun enlightenment revelation godly knowledge we know that this was God's doing because not only did the cows go that way, but it says they went that way lowing. They, they started praising God on their way. 
God will take anything to bring your blessing. He will use the, the dumbest animal to bring his glory back to you. That's why we always got to be attentive. Where is, where is God going to speak to me from? I listen. When folks say they got a word for me, it ain't going to hurt for me to listen because it, might, it just might be from God. I'm not going to say it wasn't from God because it was a cow. There was nothing guiding these cows. They simply sent the cows on their way. And as the cows came mooing, the reapers looked back and they saw the ark coming and they began to praise God. So you got to look up and see now God is going to give me another chance to possess the power that he gave me. That I can do it responsibly and with obedience and not move out of confusion and not move out of fear, but to move out of commandment and wait to hear from God. Don't go out in haste fighting folks, arguing with folks. Wait for God to speak. Who knows when he was going to allow them to go and take the Philistines? It could have been a year, two years, but because they didn't want to wait. They had to spend seven months without God's presence. 34,000 people dead, and it was too late because the baby had already been named Ichabod. They got glory jacked. Don't let the devil glory jack you. Mm 